Okay, welcome everybody. My name is Dr. Wendy Drummond. I'm a infectious disease specialist at Providence Portland Medical Center in Portland, Oregon. And with me today is Dr. Genevieve Buser, who's a pediatric infectious disease specialist, also based out of the Portland metro area and affiliated with Providence. Um, we'd like to remind you that um, anything that's discussed today is for informational purposes only. So if you have specific questions in regards to your health, please contact your healthcare provider. So we want to go ahead and get started. And I think, you know, we're talking about influenza today, and I think it would be really helpful, Dr. Buser, if you could just talk to us about what is influenza, because I think people sometimes get confused. So, right, because uh, people talk a lot about influenza or flu or influenza-like illness. But specifically today, we're talking about the influenza virus, uh, and it's one of several seasonal viruses that circulate and can cause uh, symptoms like sore throat, fever, headache, vomiting, diarrhea. And you go in to get tested, and it will show you you have specifically the influenza virus. Now, other viruses can cause similar syndromes, but uh, we'll be kind of focused on influenza virus today. Uh, and so, you know, and, and like other respiratory viruses, it can be mild or it can be much more severe, lending to pneumonias and hospitalizations. Um, and so that's why we want to talk today about how you can prevent that with vaccination. Um, the way that influenza is spread is through tiny respiratory droplets that we either cough or sneeze out, uh, also on our hands, you know, um, with like you know, snot, things like this, that we can transmit to other people and thereby spread the influenza virus through the community. Uh, and what, the way that we, we're gonna talk a bit more about how we can prevent that, but the main way that you can do that is through vaccination and then good resp respiratory etiquette uh, through covering your cough and washing your hands. Uh, we often get asked about, are there different types of influenza? And you may hear about this. There's influenza A types and influenza B types. Uh, they can cause a uh, similar respiratory syndrome. Uh, sometimes the B viruses you may hear can give a syndrome called uh, rhabdomyolysis, and that's when your muscles get very inflamed and tender. Uh, but again, these are um, uh, prevented by the vaccine. Uh, so yeah. That's kind of, uh, that's usually what I say. And then of course you, people just say they have the flu, but it could be from something else or it could really be from influenza. Well, I know some people just think if they have vomiting and diarrhea, they have flu, which it may be an acute gastroenteritis. So I think your overview was fantastic because you really sort of covered the gamut of symptoms that we can see with, with influenza. Um, I think that, the, you know, kind of because it can be so similar, I do get questions on, you know, how do you differentiate between flu and COVID? So, and Dr. Drummond, I don't know, how do you do that in your practice or can you? I think that's a fantastic question. And if people can, can think back to the beginning of the pandemic, that was one of the main questions. We were so anxiously awaiting reports from China and other areas of the world to really better understand you know, are, are, do these clinical syndromes look exactly alike? Are there subtle differences? Is there a way that we can distinguish between the two just based on clinical assessment and getting a history from our patients? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, and I think we know this very well now, and I think actually most people know more about COVID and viruses and influenza than they ever have before. And um, because the symptoms are so similar, the only way to really distinguish between these two um, clinical syndromes caused by these two different viruses is really through testing. 
and confirming the diagnosis. And we know that testing is of paramount importance still in the time of the pandemic, but especially as we move into respiratory season. It's really important to know if someone has flu or COVID because there are some public health implications that come with that COVID diagnosis. And it also changes the, the advice that we provide to our patients in terms of, well, how long do they need to stay home from work? For example, if they have influenza versus COVID, which does require a longer isolation period. And we can, we can talk about that more later. Um, so once again, I can't emphasize the importance of testing. You know, if you have a kiddo that's in school who's having respiratory symptoms, please go get them tested because we don't want to send them back home and they have COVID and can potentially spread it. Whereas if it's flu, they can stay home. If their fever's gone for 24 hours and their symptoms are improved, then we can safely send them back to school. Other things to consider between the two, you know, commonality of symptoms, and Dr. Buser really nicely gave you a review, but fevers, chills, cough, body aches, shortness of breath, all of these things that we can see with both of these virus, including some gastrointestinal symptoms such as vomiting and diarrhea, Although something to think about too, and, and Dr. Buser can comment on this more if she wants to, is just, you know, with kiddos, we do tend to see sometimes more of the diarrhea type symptoms. One distinguishing feature that, that has come out of studying um, patients with these diseases in the pandemic is that we do tend to see more of that loss of taste or smell that's associated with the COVID-19 virus. Um, the reality is, is that you can experience those symptoms really with any respiratory virus, especially if you have pretty significant congestion. However, we have really observed during this pandemic that it's much more prevalent with the COVID-19 virus. But once again, we wouldn't use that one feature to make a clinical diagnosis of COVID as opposed to another respiratory virus. Um, other things to consider in terms of differences versus similarities between these two viruses, um, you know, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which causes COVID-19 disease, is more contagious, which means it can spread more easily uh, between people. So we really have learned this and studying this throughout the pandemic. It's more contagious than the, the influenza virus is. Um, uh, symptoms seem to last longer, and we do know that you can um, spread the virus for longer periods of time. So um, with influenza, you know, after seven days or so, we think in someone who has a normal immune system, very unlikely to spread that virus to others. Whereas with SARS-CoV-2, which is a virus that causes COVID-19, um, we know that with the average person, generally around 10 days, that viral load really decreases and they're not able to spread that to other persons. But in patients who maybe don't have normal immune systems and are what we call immunocompromised, for example, they can spread the virus for much longer. And so we typically recommend longer isolation periods for those patients, sometimes as long as 20 days. So there, there are some differences between those two. The incubation periods, you know, with influenza, it's one to four days after uh, exposure, whereas with SARS-CoV-2, that can be two to five days, but sometimes as long as 14 days. So with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, it does have a longer incubation period. And that just refers to the time that the virus is replicating in your body before the onset of your symptoms. So Jen, Dr. Buser, can you tell us a little more about who are the people who are at highest risk for influenza and, and complications from influenza? 
So uh, those, it's a long list of people. Uh, really, influenza can uh, be quite severe in any age group, hence the universal recommendations for anyone over six months of age to receive the influenza vaccine. But the patient groups that we worry about uh, uh, to end up in the hospital are those people uh, who have adults who have chronic or peds or adults who have chronic medical conditions. So that could be chronic lung disease, liver disease, cardiac disease, history of stroke, uh, anyone who's on a, an immunosuppressant medication. That means a medication that changes how your immune system can uh, control or kill uh, a bacteria or virus that's invading. So that could be if you're on high dose steroids, receiving cancer treatment, on high dose uh, aspirin, for example. Um, anyone uh, with asthma, which is very common, getting influenza, if you have a history of asthma, will give you an asthma exacerbation and send you to the hospital. Children under five in particular, if they get influenza, are at higher risk to be needing hospitalization to manage their infection. Uh, a group that often is overlooked are pregnant women. Uh, oh, Dr. I have seen, unfortunately, very severe cases of influenza in pregnant women. So it's highly recommended that um, pregnant women uh, receive their influenza vaccine, and it has been shown to be safe and effective during pregnancy. Uh, and other groups that uh, appear to have more complications or be more at risk of hospitalization are those uh, minority groups. Uh, and that may be more reflective of being in a multi-generational household where you have young children and parents and grandparents and the children can bring that virus in and really spread it around and, and expose um, elderly folks who in general uh, do have more risk of having complications from influenza. So as you can see, it's a long list. And so ultimately several years ago, the CDC and ACIP recommended that anybody over the age of six months would benefit from having the influenza vaccine. Yeah, and I, I think that since those recommendations have come out, it's just made it so much easier for everyone, including us. Exactly, <laughs> and, and really because, you know, sometimes you're preventing the complications, sometimes you're preventing spread because influenza, like all of our other respiratory viruses, uh, there can be people who uh, don't aren't particularly sick with it, but they're carrying enough uh, in their nose and respiratory system, they can transmit it to other people. So that's why vaccination is important because it, even if you yourself aren't going to have a severe uh, case of it, it could prevent you from sharing that virus with someone else who could have a severe case. So. Absolutely. And I, I think we have so much more of an awareness, you know, throughout the pandemic. And, and I think your point about these multi-generational households, it, it's so important because sometimes, unfortunately, the kiddos, even though they're asymptomatic, they can really be responsible for spreading disease to others and that can, you know, there can be devastating consequences to that. So that, I think that's a fantastic point. And I, I've mentioned the vaccine several times, maybe Dr. Drummond, you could talk a little bit about how the vaccine works. Right, so, um, you know, in, ter in terms of thinking about vaccinations in general, but specifically the flu shot, you know, when you receive the influenza vaccine, it really prompts your body to start producing um, protective antibodies that develop roughly two weeks following the initial vaccination. Now, all of the current influenza vaccines are now quadrivalent vaccines, and that's just really a fancy term, meaning that, um, you know, we discussed earlier different types and different strains of influenza. And through very good research every year, researchers really try and determine, okay, what are the most common circulating strains of influenza? 
and let's let's really target those strains through our vaccines. So that's so quadrivalent meaning we're targeting four different dominant dominant circulating strains. And for this year, it's it's two strains of influenza A, and two strains of influenza B. And keeping in mind that it also includes the influenza A, just sort of out of interest, includes that H1N1 variant that we saw back in 2009 that caused a fairly serious global pandemic. So. Um, Although the other influenza A um, variant, the H3N2, is really more dominant at this point in terms of what we're seeing circulating in the United States and even up in our corner of the region in the Pacific Northwest. And that will vary throughout the season usually. It really does. And we've had some seasons, I think you recall within the last year or two, where Early on, it was uh, one particular strain of influenza. And then later on in the spring, we saw a second spike. What, what was it with flu B? I think it was, but, um, or I could have it backwards. But anyway, yes. So that's why it's really important uh, to get the quadrivalent or administer the quadrivalent vaccine. I get a lot of questions because it's flu season. So can, can patients get the flu vaccine and COVID, either primary series or booster? Uh, can they get those at the same time? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, and, and we're really trying to educate people about this. So um, if you're eligible for your COVID booster, or even if it's your primary vaccine, so it's your first COVID vaccine, you actually can get that administered at the same time as your flu shot, which is fantastic. Um, basically one vaccine in each arm. Um, I, I'll tell you people, my patients have done really well with this. Um, so, so yes, you can sort of get both of them done at the same time. It's very efficient use of your time. And uh, we do get a lot of questions about, well, is there a combination vaccine yet? So I can just receive one injection instead of two. But unfortunately, we're just, we're not quite there yet. There's research ongoing and in de development for a, a combination vaccine, but we're not, you know, stay tuned. We're not quite there yet. So, you know, we talk about emphasizing flu shots every year, but a lot of people will say, eh, I've never gotten the flu. I don't really get the flu. I don't get the flu shot. But can you tell us why it might be really, really important thinking about the upcoming respiratory season? Why is it so important to get a flu shot even more so than ever? Yeah. The, the, I, the vaccine is one of our effective tools to present, preventing influenza disease in the community. And so, of course, we're using all our tools in the toolbox. And, you know, why this year? So when people get influenza and they have complications on a general year, you know, if you unfortunately get pneumonia and have to go into the hospital, like, you know, you can pretty much expect that there'll be a bed there and they'll be able to take care of you. If we also have like what happened last winter when you have tons of COVID, uh, which hospitalizes people because of shortness of breath and needing oxygen and needing fancy therapies that we can't give as an outpatient like we can with flu, then it's, you know, your hospital beds, they became very full. Our staff are, you know, uh, go into crisis mode really because we have to manage our healthcare resources. So everything just becomes much more complicated and um, busy. And unfortunately, you know, last, when this first happened or this happened last season, um, and Dr. Drummond will remember this well, I and mean, we had to think about, okay, how are we gonna prioritize our resources because we need to take care of acutely ill patients. We can't be doing elective surgeries that we can push down the road. So there's a lot of surgical delays, other things like that. Our ICUs get filled up, you know, again, staff is working overtime. And so 
in order, this is a marathon, right? Like this is virus that's going to be with us. So we need to use all of our tools to prevent what is preventable. Uh, and so that's why getting the flu vaccine could help, you know, prevent people from having to go to the hospital for flu complications, um, because we may be needing those beds again if there's another surge in COVID. Yeah, I think every point you made there is so important. And, you know, thinking about what happened more recently, just starting in August and going into the early fall with the the recent surge associated with the Delta variant. I mean, this is during a time where influenza really isn't circulating. So we have to consider, well, what's it going to be like as we go into the respiratory season? Let's try and prevent everything that we can to keep people out of the hospital. More importantly, just keep everybody well and living happy, healthy lives for sure. Yeah. And it means you, if you still, it means your kids can stay in school, you can stay in work, you know, there are, you know, multiple benefits. So, so, so many social benefits. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, kind of moving along, like we were talking about some of the secondary, you know, more acute secondary consequences of, um, of flu. Uh, and I think uh, one of, you know, that brings up a question of like, well, what if you get influenza and COVID at the same time? Like, could that be worse? You know, what if you already were in, still in the process of recovering from COVID a few months ago and maybe have long COVID and you get flu on top of that? Like, can you tell us a little about, like, what do we know about how those viruses may interact together? Yeah, those are such intriguing questions. And I think we're still learning, you know, this has been a really steep learning curve and we're still learning more about um, these viral dynamics. But I mean, one thing that we do know is that you can be infected by both viruses at the same time because these viruses target different receptors on our cells. So um, it's it, one is not protective against the other, um, but it doesn't necessarily make you more vulnerable either as far as our current knowledge. So I, I think that's really important to understand. Um, you know, people really ask about, okay, so let's say I was recently infected with COVID or within the last few months, and there may be even patients who, um, that fall into this category of having that long COVID though you've heard people talk about where maybe they have, you know, ongoing shortness of breath and fatigue and people really want to know, well, what happens if I get influenza? Am I going to get a lot sicker? What are the consequences of that? And like, as I preface this discussion, you know, I think there's a lot that we don't know about it, but I, I tend to think of this really in two different ways. One is, and I think Dr. Buser could even comment on this more if she wanted to with respect to kiddos, but anytime you get any viral respiratory illness, it's, it's you know, it causes significant inflammation in your airways. So then as you're recovering from that, um, you know, you, you have this inflammation in the airways. If you're recovering from COVID and even some other infections, you may even have scarring and changes to the dynamics in your airways and tissues in your lungs. So that may make you more vulnerable to other infections and you could potentially be sicker and at higher risk for, I, I think, pulmonary complications mainly um, if you were to get a second viral infection after having recovered or still recovering from another. The other thing that I would also, uh, that I've also thought about is that, you know, in patients who've been treated for COVID and let's say they had severe enough COVID that they required hospitalization, some of the therapeutics that we use actually do change the dynamics of how your immune system functions. Mm -hmm. So then you consider, well, what are the risks if I were to get an infection 
you know, as I'm recovering from COVID, but maybe my immune system is still not quite up to snuff, I think that there are certainly relative risks for more severe disease in that setting as well, not to mention the risks for secondary bacterial infections. Yeah. And actually, Dr. Rome, if you think about it, we prevented a flu surge last year because of the very high vaccination rates and people were on top of covering their coughs, wearing masks, washing their hands. And so that's kind of why we don't have a lot of data about how those viruses interact together. Because we absolutely, and so but maybe we can do that again this year to some extent by getting vaccinated, washing hands, respiratory etiquette, you know, being mindful if one is sick, staying home from work, working from home, staying home from school. Uh, you know, these kind of things um, really can make a difference, and that's what we saw last year. So hopefully, we can can minimize the uh, effect, the negative effects of influenza a season this year as well. Yeah, I think we were all so astonished. I think it's what we expected, but we were also astonished when there really wasn't much of a flu season and also greatly relieved for all of the, the reasons that you mentioned earlier with hospital capacity and, and you know, just things that have been so commonly talked about in communities and people are already aware of. Yeah. Um, so you talked about different ways of preventing flu, which a lot of these ways are how we prevent COVID or just spread of other respiratory viruses. Um, the other thing, and I'm just going to hit this topic again, because you talked about staying home and good, um, you know, hand hygiene and just respiratory etiquette. But once again, testing, 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 <laughs> testing is really important. Yeah. So, yeah. And, so, and I think, and I think the other, maybe you can talk more about this is that, we, I mean, these are all all preventative measures, but how about when it comes to treatment? And flu, we actually do have some outpatient op options, not to say that COVID might not have some down the road, but as far as now, we do have some um, outpatient treatment options for influenza. We do. Um, so there are antiviral medications that are available for the treatment of influenza. Now, generally speaking, the vast majority of people who get the flu are going to have mild disease, and those persons are really not going to require treatment, especially the pediatric population. Although we don't, there are kiddos who are at certainly higher risk for complications. So we, you know, we would we would consider treatment in those populations as well. Um, the main populations that we really consider treatment uh, for are those who are at higher risk for respiratory complications and other complications who maybe have underlying disease processes that you so nicely summarized at the very beginning beginning of this, you know, patients with underlying medical conditions, including lung disease, such as asthma, uh, patients who are immune compromised. Uh, these medications are really the most effective early on in the infection as the virus is still replicating. And so we usually say within two to three days is the, more, is the most optimal time to start these medications. But that said, uh, there, there has been benefit that's been shown in those higher risk patients that even if they're outside of that initial 72 hour window, you know, you certainly could consider treating those higher risk patients. There are even patients that we will use these antiviral medications uh, for in the setting of prevention. So if you know you have a really high risk patient at risk for complications, should they get this infection, uh, we might use that in, for prevention. If, they, if we know that they have a really high risk exposure to someone who has documented and, and diagnosed influenza. Yeah, for example, in nursing homes, that's often what we do to try to prevent spread. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Long-term care facilities. That's a fantastic example because as we know with the pandemic, and we knew this before actually, I mean, viruses can just uh, be transmitted very rapidly in these settings and we're dealing with some of the most vulnerable patients that we care for. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and that's a, maybe a nice segue to um, talking more about severe disease and about going to the emergency room. Because again, you know, most, most people will kind of start, usually it's a sudden onset, right? Of sore throat, followed by headache, fever, those classic, I've been run over by a truck <laughs> symptoms. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so what should, you know, what should take you to the ED? And, you know, I think when it gets to the level of a severity, uh, needing more intervention. So kids, especially, they can get dehydrated very quickly with vomiting and diarrhea, or, you know, breathing too fast. So if you're, you know, uh, you're so dehydrated, you're not urinating frequently enough. Uh, if you're running into difficulty breathing, shortness of breath, or if you have an underlying history of asthma and your wheeze isn't getting better with your, your regular medications, uh, any severe muscle pain that you can't walk even because it's so severe, any severe chest pain, uh, severe, severe headaches, these kind of things uh, would be a reason um, to, to, to seek a you know, higher level of medical care and be checked out. Um, and then nowadays there's just so many, there are so many great virtual options to check in with your doctor. If you're not sure if you need uh, to be seen, uh, setting up a virtual care visit, um, can be a great way to start. Oh, that was, that was such a great, great point. And that's one of the things if, if we want to say, okay, there's some good things that have come out of the pandemic. One of them <laughs> is our ability to triage our patients and see them virtually and then trying to determine, you know, what the next best steps for care are. So I, I'm, that was a great call out on your part. I think one thing that you and I had talked about um, before, before this um, presentation is really, um, and I thought it was a great call out on your part is please don't go to the ER specifically just to get testing. If you're otherwise a well patient, you know, there's a lot of different resources out there for getting COVID testing, and we don't want to uh, jam up our emergency rooms with patients who are otherwise well and don't need that urgent medical evaluation, but really are just seeking testing to confirm disease and determine the next best steps for treatment. Exactly. And it may vary by state here in Oregon, uh, going to the getvaccinated.org and .gov uh, gives you uh, sites for testing uh, for COVID and for influenza and this kind of thing. So look to your local health department resources. There will be ways to do that uh, or through your primary care provider, urgent care. Uh, there's just so many um, options right now. Um, I think I see we're kind of coming up towards the close. So I just want to see Dr. Drummond, is there anything else that um, kind of points you'd like to hit on for how do we prevent influenza? How do we prevent a bad respiratory season that you'd like our listeners to remember? Yeah, yeah. So, and some of these may be duplicate points, but I think we talked about the fact that influenza vaccine for everyone six months and older, right? I don't know if we had that, but just a reminder, six months and older. Mm -hmm. uh, it's safe and effective at preventing severe disease. And, um, one thing that we also talked about, we've referenced this earlier, is that there are other circulating viruses right now. So uh, RSV, in fact, Dr. Buson and I were talking about RSV in the pediatric population, and it, it can be really devastating, um, para-influenza. So there are other viruses that are circulating. So thinking about all of these things that we've emphasized in, turn of, in terms of good respiratory etiquette, covering your mouth, 
wearing masks as indicated, uh, good hand hygiene, um, staying home if sick, that's also gonna prevent the spread of these other respiratory pathogens. So we, we just don't wanna lose sight that it's not just the flu, it's not just SARS-CoV-2, it, it is some of these other viruses as well. And um, routine childhood vaccinations, do you wanna call out that? Yeah, yeah, this is just always a great reminder for routine vaccinations and including the adult vaccinations, your the pneumonia vaccine, the shingles vaccine for adults, and of course our routine childhood vaccines uh, against pneumonia, measles, mumps, rubella, other, other forms of meningitis and pneumonia. Uh, this is a great time to just make sure that if you happen to get behind because of COVID, that now they've got lots of vaccine options, get caught up on those because those uh, also prevent important communicable diseases. Thank you.